Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nesting, and I listen to them too, there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Hello, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring Fantasy Flight Games' Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And just like FFG, we're back after a short hiatus from our usually completely reliable release schedule. Today, we're going to be talking about the player cards from the newest Mythos pack, Union and Disillusion. But first, a quick update on some recent spooky and not-so-spooky events. And you know, you know which one of these events our, our listeners are going to be most excited about. It's the Amethyst Challenge. Oh, yeah, that's right. So we played. Uh, we actually had the opportunity to play this game uh, together in person for the first time in a while because I went back to the East Coast, and uh, we decided what better way to spend this rare opportunity to be in the same zone together than to play the Forgotten Age with all Mystics. So that was what we did. We played four-player Forgotten Age with our friend Colin, and. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. We first tried it on hard, and we got completely wrecked in Doom of Esli because uh, every time you draw the squid, it's like double ancient evils, and it just really, really sucks. Um, <laughs> so we, so so we we reset it back on standard from the beginning, and uh, we got through it pretty pretty fine. It was it was good. Yeah, but I don't know. Do you guys have a you guys have a good time doing Forgotten Age with uh, purple 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 purple? Yeah, here's it on record. I think this is the last time I'm ever gonna play Mystic. <laughs> Whoa! Oh. What? Whoa, no, that's not the, it's just like it's the last time you're ever gonna play Forgotten nah, Age. There, <laughs> in the next campaign, there's gonna be a mystic that has like some weird, like makes cotton candy out of like butterflies or some weird crap, and you're gonna be like, "Oh, this is the best investigator ever." He's gonna go to sleep and make portals and be able to teleport on the map constantly. God, we're, be great. We're, we're not supposed to talk about that yet. We're talk <laughs> oh, about that. well, I don't think any investigator is gonna make Uncage the Soul fast, and until that happens, I'm not playing a mystic. <laughs> Oh God! It really needs to be fast, doesn't it? Well, it, it really it just, does. No, it just it just needs to say fast. Reduce the cost of the next spell or ritual you play by three this turn. That's all it needs to say, and it would be uh would be so much less annoying. Uh, but we did have we did have some pretty interesting decks. So Dane uh Dane was playing a very strange Agnes deck with like Dark Horse and Meat Cleaver and stuff, which was weird, but definitely worked pretty well. I think Ben was playing Diana. That seemed to work out sort of well, right? Kind of, you canceled a lot of things. Yeah, I was just doing a fairly straightforward Diana that had like a lot of cancels in her deck, so she could constantly cancel stuff and then draw cards, to get money. It was it was pretty fun. I feel like Diana is the only investigator that like would sit at a computer and and want pop up windows to happen so she could cancel out of them. <laughs> <laughs> she could close them and then she gets a buck, like you know. <laughs> yeah, she's the opposite of uh, Nasser. She loves pop up windows. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh this is a little 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 netrunner joke for Ben there. Um yeah, I, I introduced that. Thanks. I was I was I was playing Akachi, which was pretty fun. I hadn't played her before. Uh and I was going for the kind of like uh annoy everybody by putting lots of doom on things build. So I had a uh, Blood Pact, which was great. I had David Renfield, uh incredibly great ally, very high <laughs> skill ceiling on uh oh, on my good friend David Renfield. Uh love love turning that guy sideways. He really knows uh he really knows how to turn any situation into a doom party. He was great. But yeah, had had a lot of fun. Oh, and, and our friend Colin played a uh, Jim, who was an investigator who's played before that he really likes. But he put he put a lot of relics in it for some reason. Like he was doing, <laughs> he was fetching his trumpet with Eli Horowitz, and uh, 
I don't know. It kind of works, you know, so it was fine. I think the best part about it was when the jazz would swell after he drew his weakness and for about for about <laughs> 20 seconds or so when he would be drawing chaos tokens to see whether or not he would totally get boned or not. And I would I would crank the volume on my Bluetooth speaker playing like weird 70s Japanese fusion jazz and it like really inspired everybody. <laughs> no, that that was great. But the actual best part was that, that by the final scenario between the four of us, we had six blood packs on the table. Yes. That, obviously, that was the best part. But uh, but yeah, it was, it was good. I think I think at the end of the last scenario, the final turn of the last scenario, we had 28 Doom out. It was some absurd amount. That sounds about right. Yeah. It was uh, it was it was good. You know, I, we never really got screwed by it because uh, you know, you just got to have some confidence. That's all it takes. And my good friend David Renfield had a lot a lot of cancels and relay rituals. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also eight wards. Really, honestly, if 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 Mystics did not have wards, that just would not have been possible. Oh yeah, we would have been so screwed. Like, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, I I think maybe it was like the last episode I mentioned something like, oh yeah, if you really if you just want to make the game easier, just play like four characters that can ward stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we did that and it, it made something, it made some, a really weird group, like kind of work and function. So, yeah. I mean, I think we boarded in the last scenario, like 10 ancient evils, something like that. Yeah. We also, so Ben, Ben kind of hinted at a little bit ahead of time, but there was some really big news, uh, announced just a couple of days ago on the FFG website, right? Yeah. Uh, it was the, uh, the fifth campaign, the dream eaters that appears to feature some type of dream spiders and also lots of cats. So. You know, that's going to be pretty good. You can either play it as like two four-part campaigns or one big campaign. So see how that goes. Should, should be neat. Yeah, we, we don't know much about it yet, but we will we will keep an eye on it, and it looks looks pretty cool. Yeah. This year's announcements are pretty exciting. The blob that ate everything and cats in Dreamworldland. Seems good. Seems seems pretty good. Uh, it's a tie. It's actually it's going to be a tie-in with the upcoming. This is not a joke. This is a real thing that's going to be released this year. Live-action musical version of Cats. So that's 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 why the next campaign is the Dream Eaters. It's all a, it's a cross promotional branding exercise. And one last thing we should we should mention before we start talking about the player cards, uh, our friend Graham, who was on the podcast a couple of times earlier this year, his uh, long-awaited podcast about this game with his friends Nick and Chris, the Pallid Cast Detective Agency, uh, just released their first episode. So if you like our podcast. First of all, that seems weird to me. Uh, you should probably try other podcasts. But uh, but yeah, you know, if, if you like our podcast, you'd probably enjoy the Palocast Detective Agency, so give it a try. Yeah, they're great. Uh, I talked with Graham. I'm actually doing the Leave Extraordinary Investigators with him, and we talk sometimes uh, about... I mean, he's your heated competition, right? Like, oh, yeah, he's you know, definitely... He the competition. Competition. Yeah, you should like, be trying to crush him, Dan. Like, you just trash talk, right? That's all the only communication you have. Oh, for sure. Much like he's your competition in the league of solo nerds, uh, his podcast <laughs> is now yet one more competitive podcast that we have to crush on our way to the top. But, uh, <laughs> but, but it, but in like a nice, friendly way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, listen to his podcast. It's great. It's great. Graham's a good guy. Yeah. Should we move on to talking about the cards then? I guess. So the first player card in this pack is called Warning Shot. It is a guardian event, costs two resources, has a combat icon and an agility icon. It is a tactic and a trick. Uh, as an additional cost to play Warning Shot, spend one ammo from a firearm asset you control. Move all non-elite enemies at your location to a connecting location. This action does not provoke attacks of opportunity. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, well, for, first off, I like the theme of the card uh, in that you're like shooting off a gun and scares away the monsters. Yeah. 
mechanically, I don't know of any great uses for this. It costs two to play. Uh, you don't consider enabling a really good dynamite to be a great use? Oh, yeah, but that means you have to pay seven money to throw a dynamite. That's probably worth it. Playing dynamite's always worth it, right? It, so it is. It is really situational, and a lot of the cases where you'd want to do that can be solved by just having the upgraded dynamite, which doesn't trigger attacks of opportunity. But it is still a fun thing to imagine. Like there's two enemies on my location, and then there's one on another location. Shove the two onto the other location, then dynamite it. Yeah, I mean it can help you if you're getting like overwhelmed with enemies and you want to make them go away. Uh, it's like an alternative to evading if there's non-hunters. It is a trick, so Rita can use it, although she doesn't have too many options for guns to be able to utilize that part of it. Yeah, it also, Carolyn would kind of want to play it, but she also can't really use guns, so. I mean, she can use regular guns, like level zero. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rita only has the upgraded ones, right? Like the hunting rifle and that's it, right? Yeah, yeah, Rita just has the hunting rifle, I think. Because there's no level zero guns, it's all random household objects that survivors grab enemies <laughs> <Yeah>. with <laughs> baseball bats yeah here's the thing whenever i see non-elite i get spooked and not in like the good haunted kind of way like the bad like don't play this card kind of way here's the second thing if there are multiple enemies out on the in in the game right now somebody done fucked up and didn't do their job you need to be killing <laughs> these enemies as they come if 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 there are five enemies please don't please don't play this card. What is um what does Skid's weakness do? Or maybe it's Finn. Doesn't one of them make like all the enemies like come and converge on them? Yes, Finn, that is right? Finn. That's Finn. Yeah. Uh, can Finn play this card? No, he can't. No, he cannot. Because <laughs> they could. I was like, could it somehow counter that weakness? It'd be great in like one of the rogues uh, to like shoot everything, make everything run away from you. But that it would have to be fast though to like. I guess it wouldn't have to. Be uh, well, fast. it doesn't. It doesn't provoke any woe. So, like, you can use it even if you have enemies storming you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not provoking an AOO is definitely way worse than just being fast. Yeah. Yeah. I like the art on it. It has, uh... Yeah, ghost dogs. Yeah. Remember those guys? Yeah, it has, has a lady shooting, trying to scare away <laughs> all the spooky ghost dogs. <laughs> yeah. And ghoul dogs, maybe. So, kind of cool. Maybe some situations where it's neat, um, but pro- not a card that you're going to play very often, probably. Yeah. What about the What about the next one? So, the next card we've got is Telecop telescopic sight this is a three cost level three event it commits for one intelligence one combat and one agility it's actually intellect Uh, you shut your mouth uh (laughs) it's an item and it's an upgrade it's fast attached to a firearm asset you control that takes up two hand slots attached asset cannot be used to attack enemies engage with you it's got the little uh triggered symbol when you perform a fight action using attached asset if you are engaged with no enemies, exhaust telescopic sight. This attack can target a non-elite enemy at a connecting location. Ignore the aloof and retaliate keyword for this attack. And I'm going to repeat that. This attack can target a non-elite enemy at a connecting location. Hmm. Does that mean that it can't target an elite enemy? Yeah, because you're on a different location, so... Yeah, it's at, this is adding a new ability to the gun, which lets you gotcha. target... Not only enemies that I can't location. And boy, is that a scope, man. It's kind of a unique thing, though, because it's an event that's also an item, right? Is that, like, the first time this is happening? No, we've seen that happen before with, like, Reliable and Trusted, I think. Or, or if, I forget what it's called, but there's one for allies that gives them extra health, and there's one for hand items that gives them plus one when you do a test on them. Well, those those are all upgrades. I don't know if they're items off the top of my head. Oh, no, that's a good point. Uh, it seems like they're releasing a lot of upgrade cards, so that maybe... You could design a deck where you have like you focus on like really upgrading your gun to uh to be able to do a bunch of different stuff. 
This one, though, like requires like a specific deck where you're focused on not being at the same location as enemies or not being engaged with enemies, which is pretty counter to the typical like Guardian playstyle, I think, at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see it working at some point in the future because the, the goal of being like a fighter Guardian is to keep enemies away from your teammates. It's not so much specifically to have them like punch you. So in that sense, this could work. But I, I think the bigger problem is that if you're playing like the two-handed weapon decks like Lightning Gun or Flamethrower, the problem with those is already like set up, like finding those and then playing extra ammo or whatever. This is just like adding an extra thing you have to find. I, I don't know. It might work, though. You can't, you can't even use the Sun Flamethrower because Flamethrower like only damages stuff you're engaged with. Oh, really? So I think I think if you attach this, you just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't use the flamethrower. But... Well, I mean, to be fair, that makes not using it on a flamethrower makes way more sense than somehow having like a scoped, super accurate flamethrower. Like, that's not really how flamethrowers work, right? So, yeah. So it's really for lightning gun then, right? Like, you could put it on the Thompson or something, but really it's like for There's lightning other gun. There's other stuff. There was several two-handed weapons that came out at the end of the Forgotten Age. That you could, well, one of those was flamethrower. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I enjoyed the idea of putting a telescopic sc- sight on your flamethrower. Well, I mean, or on a shotgun, you can do, which is not much less ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's what, the the bar? The one that, like, you spend ammo to do more damage? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. If you built a deck that, like, if you wanted to be a guardian that, like, stayed in one location, and, like, you let everyone, you let, like, Ursula or someone run around, and you set yourself up so that you get some like big lightning gun or, or bar or some training weapon that you like upgrade a bunch and then maybe you have like a machete or something for like emergencies when you something engages you isn't that what the springfield does oh yeah it is what the springfield does <laughs> the springfield costs like four xp and like a bunch of money to play and it, i don't think it, i think it might be worse than this doesn't it let you i'm fairly certain it is does it let you shoot at connecting locations yeah, only or something this at least lets you shoot or, at... no evaded enemies what if there's like an unengaged enemy at your location or something yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think like the way it kind of seems to me is this probably this is just like too complicated and too much setup to like really be cool. But I don't want to totally rule out the the possibility that someone will come up with like the right combination of put this and something else on your Thompson or something and just like stand in one place and shoot everything. Yeah. Like there, it's a possibility that that might work. And if not now, then maybe in the future if they make more cards. The Springfield does not let you shoot detected locations. It specifically <laughs> cannot be used to attack enemies engaged with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So you put this on, it doesn't change anything. Yeah, it makes, it, makes not... it better, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this this can be used for, um, you know, dealing with, like, the Etsley Guardians, the, the those guys who, if they're at a connecting uh, location, the they guys. can shoot you from, from a distance, you know? Like, if there are more enemies that are like that in the future, this might be good, like, if you can't get to them for some reason but they can get to you somehow uh, to, to hit you. You know, that might be a reasonable. It also does ignore aloof. So say you need to shoot a particularly annoying bird. <laughs> it would be good to shoot it. Yeah. And the, and the witches that like the, there's witches in the circle and done that, or I think, I think they're witches. They might be yeah. ghosts. It's really hard to keep them straight. That do damage when they die. Yeah. To, to everybody on their space. So there oh, are yeah. a couple corner cases like that, but I think it's unusual. There's definitely uses for it. I think it's just like awkward to, to get out right now maybe yeah. we'll see an investigator that's like themed around upgrades or maybe see some card that's like oh search your deck for top nine cards for an upgrade and put it into play or something like that yeah um, that'd be nice so maybe once yeah. there's enough support for upgrades there could be some cool combos right now uh not thinking of anything yeah let's move to the seeker cards on to the next one all right so the first seeker card is called knowledge is power uh it is a l- level zero event Cost zero to play, has a willpower and intellect icon for committing. 
it is an insight, like every single other <laughs> secret. I don't event. know why they print that anymore on secret events. <laughs> and uh, the ability is fast play only during your turn. Choose a tome or spell asset you control, or reveal a tome or spell asset from your hand. Resolve an action or free trigger ability on that asset, ignoring all costs, including its action cost, if any. Then, if that asset was in your hand, you may discard it to draw one card. I think this one, this is pretty solid, uh, particularly for Daisy, who's going to have a bunch of tomes anyway. And possibly spells. And possibly spells. Because you know what's a spell. Miss of Ryla? Certainly not. Well, I mean, it is, but that's Premonition. not nearly as important as Word of Protection. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. Oh, yeah. I, I frequently want to play Word of Protection only on my turn yep. to, to discard it and draw a card. And also, <laughs> but Word of Protection is not an asset, and this unfortunately works on assets. Yeah. So it's not going to, it won't help with all the fun spell events, unfortunately. I tried. It doesn't work with Storm yeah. of Spirits or whatever. It, it effectively gives you an extra charge on stuff that has charges, like a, on spells that have charges. Uh, I think the better effect is that if you have an extra copy of a book in your hand, like say you're playing Daisy and you have two medical texts, you only need to play one. It lets you trigger it as a free action, fast effect, whatever it is, uh, and then discard it and get a card draw. So it, it gives an alternative use for like extra books, which for Daisy I think is good. Yeah, I, and that's that's pretty cool. When I, I I like Daisy a lot, so when I when I play Daisy, I tend to go more in the direction of playing like one copy of most books. And either just counting on being able to draw a lot of cards with cryptic research and you'll find the ones that you need, or just playing, um, is it library, librarian or something? There's the ally that can tutor for a... Research librarian, yeah. Yeah, research librarian. So I tend to not play a lot of extra copies, but maybe with this card, maybe you could play extra copies and it would be a little bit more okay. I sort of wish the icons on this were a little better, because this is like a classic card where you'd want to have it in your deck and sometimes you'll get to play it, but you'd want to have a backup plan of committing it for stuff. For and sure. the icons are not amazing, but I think this is, I think this is okay. I would think about putting it in a Daisy deck. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a strong candidate for Daisy. It is an insight. So I guess that means uh Joe could put it in his hunch deck, but I think this is not a good hunch card. Oh, or you could eidetic memory to play it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good for Daisy. I like the, I like, I like the art on it. I think is that supposed to be father Mateo. Or is that just a, just a priest? His name is uh, Justin A. Priest. That's his full name. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Uh, yeah, Art's at it. Like it. He's reading a book, which is obviously very dangerous. So Art demonstrates that. Mm-hmm. So the next card is Esoteric Atlas, uh, which is a seeker asset, cost for resources, 1 XP. It has an agility icon on it. The art is a guy looking at a book, but from behind. The art on knowledge is power. We're looking at the guy's face as he's looking at the book, but this time we're looking from behind his shoulder. So it's like very different Um, different. it's an item and a tome uh it has uses for secrets and you can spend an action to spend one secret and exhaust esoteric atlas choose a revealed location that is exactly two connections away from your location move to that location and it takes up a hand slot so what do we what do we think about this one i guess we could probably start by comparing it to pathfinder right yeah i think yeah so theoretically it is more efficient than pathfinder oh no pathfinder is a free a free trigger yeah. So in Daisy, in Daisy, this is effectively like a double pathfinder <laughs> if you want to go two spaces away from you. It skips enemies too, right? Let's talk for for an arbitrary for most seekers not Daisy first. Yeah. This is like instead of getting one movement for free, you're spending an action to get two movements. So in that sense it's like kind of is the same as Pathfinder unless you only wanted to go one space. 
And it's also limited by having only four four secrets on it, and it takes up a hand slot. So I would say that for not Daisy, you should never play this over Pathfinder. Like maybe if you really wanted to move a lot, you could play this and Pathfinder, but Pathfinder is definitely better if you're not Daisy. Yeah. Right? yeah. I think that, so there's kind of two different movements that happen in this game right now. One of them is like elusive where you just kind of like pop off your location and pop pretty much anywhere you want. And then there's also where an enemy might move to your location one space at a time. This notably Mm. is exactly two connections away from your location without touching the one in the middle. Oh, that's a really good point. You know what I mean? So like if there are enemies clogging up some main choke point or something like that, you can kind of just hop over them, which is kind of Mm. cool. And also it doesn't, it it, it has to be revealed. So you have to have already kind of gone there. It's better for those Uh... maps. It's better for those maps where you have to kind of go back and forth maybe. I, I didn't catch either of those two things, but I think maybe they kind of roughly cancel each other out. Yeah. Because it, the fact that it has to be revealed actually does really suck. Right. Whereas Pathfinder, you can just kind of move. You can scoot. Pathfinder is very, very good. Ability to skip over enemies that are out of location that you, when you're trying to backtrack. That is that is definitely useful, but yeah. I don't know how often that comes up. At least uh, multiplayer doesn't come up too often. Maybe in solo, that is a uh, scenario that happens more often because maybe you evaded stuff to run away from them instead of killing them. But For, for like Ursula, kind of sometimes, right? She has a good evade. Maybe. Yeah. I think for Daisy, I mean, certainly for Daisy, the advantage is she gets a free action to use on books. So for Daisy, once per turn, you effectively get a free double move, kind of like your triggering Pathfinder, but better. But it is taking up a hand slot like all books do, and it's limited by the number of uses. I, I would be inclined to at least try out playing this in Daisy just because it's fun to have access to more books. Yeah, for sure. And it's probably it's probably good. I'm not sure whether long term it's really better than the combo of like Encyclopedia and Old Book of Lore or something like that. Maybe especially if you have kind of natural ways to put more secrets on it without really having to spend stuff, that would maybe push it in the direction. But yeah, I would definitely at least try this in a Daisy deck. Yeah, there's a couple ways to add secrets to cards, but it's also like, how often do you actually need to move, you know, two spaces in a scenario? Like four might already be enough. It really depends how often you get it, how early you get it out, I think. Because I think if you get this out like turn one, you probably will use up all four secrets. Well, that, right. again, it's only to reveal locations, though. So it's only when you're backtracking. Oh, uh, yeah, that's kind of true. So, yeah. Well, or, or you can have, like, you can, you know, you're you're the clue getter. You can have your party members go ahead and, like, scout stuff out, and then you can go collect the clues. That's true. But but you're kind of right, though. There are a lot of turns where you only want to move one space. Right. Even if you have, yeah, so. Exactly, yeah. Just a little limited, but I think that if you could play it right, it could kind of give you a pretty good benefit, right? If you're Daisy. If you're Daisy, is the asterisk here. Yeah. It's just if you play Pathfinder instead of this, you're freeing up more hand spaces for different books. So it's like, eh, I don't know. It's hard to say. If they have other cards like Knowledge is Power that synergize specifically with Tomes, maybe it'll be more beneficial to have this over Pathfinder. Hmm. Plus, if you play this, you have more books for when they inevitably print the book canon for for Seekers. (laughs) So you can shoot different books at people. Uh that'd be so dangerous uh, there, there should be a no there should be a seeker asset that's like you know the the classic like book where you open it up and the pages are hollowed out and there's like a gun in it <laughs> so it's like a, it's it's like a tome firearm asset that has like <laughs> secrets and ammo <laughs> that'd be really good oh no maybe maybe that would be if they make a dual class uh seeker and rogue card maybe it would be like a hidden gun inside a book yeah, that'd be cool. And then there could be, and then when you upgrade it, the like upgraded pure rogue version could be a secret book hidden inside a gun. <laughs> wow, boy, so many, so many great ideas. 
So let's go to the road cards now. I think I think we're I think we're finished with all these books, or are we? Well, <laughs> oh. so the next card is a rogue card. It's called Investments. It is a one cost asset level zero. You commit it for one intellect. Uh, its trait is a connection. Uses zero supplies. Limit ten supplies on investments. Fast action. Exhaust investments. Place one supply on it. And then for an action, you can exhaust and discard investments to move all supplies from it to your resource pool as resources. And it doesn't take up any slots. So this is sort of like Lone Wolf, right? Because like once per turn, you can get a money. A little less direct, but doesn't have the penalty of like if there's somebody else at your location, it doesn't work. It's also much like the Netrunner card, Algo Trading. That's what I thought. Uh, no, nobody <laughs> thought that. Which was an extremely bad card that no one ever played. <laughs> so like this if you get this out early in the game then it can net you like nine resources i mean it costs you an action and a a resource to play so you net nine out of it i guess you can is there other ways you can use your venture to put supplies on it to get more money i guess uh i think unless there's some kind of weird nonsense you can do with preston i think that this is mostly pretty bad mostly just because the fact that you have to spend an action to take the money off of it is really rough because you can't be like oh no I, i suddenly have to do a difficult test and i want to pump one of my stats with one of my talents or something, I'm going to cash this in and take the money off of it. You can't do that. You have to like decide it ahead of time and spend an action. Because yeah. you're remember, you're spending an action to cash in as well. So you're basically spending two actions and one money. Yeah. That means that if you let it get up to four resources on it, you just did all that to net like one resource. Yeah. I guess it um it could be maybe useful for like a Dark Horse build. That's exactly what I was going to say. You can like stockpile money. But you have to be, you know, you have to have access to green cards and red cards, which is a uh, Preston. Preston, Wendy, <laughs> Preston, Dark Horse, Preston, and Ashkin. Uh, it just, I feel like having this makes you like a way worse version of Preston. But you could be Preston and also have this. Do you think that makes himself a worse version of himself? Or <laughs> I'll defer. I'll defer to you, Ben, because you're the one that's played Preston fairly often recently. Would you put this in either of those Preston decks? I don't think I'd put it in like the big money deck. I'd maybe try it in the Dark Horse to see how it goes, but hmm. yeah, I'm worried about like how efficient it is. Because it doesn't count as resources, so it is a way for him to like burst up if he needs it. But you're right in that having to spend the action first is kind of a, a rough penalty. The timing is just really tough, because you would have to find this early, let it tick up to like 7 or 8, and then cash it in at just the right moment. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting card nonetheless, I think. There's nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah, I just wish the numbers on it were a little different, because it is a cool idea. I also, I wonder if, like, is it is the title supposed to be kind of sarcastic because she's, like, counting money on a table and with a gun on it? Is it, like, is this actually, like, protection money or something? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a connection, which I think are, like, shady, like, you know, people, you're like, oh, I know a guy, but it might be, like, a shady, a shady dude or lady. So it might be, like, investing in, like, a speakeasy or something. Like, yeah. this is, although it's not illicit, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if it was illicit, then Preston wouldn't be able to take it. Yeah, I was going to say. Pre- Preston obviously has connections, so you know that'd be counter to the theme. So. Yep, capital is theft. Uh, let's move <laughs> on to the next card. All right. The next card is a rogue card called Decoy. It is a level zero event, costs two to play, uh, and has two agility icons for committing. It is a favor and a service. The ability is evade. Automatically evade a non-elite enemy at your location. Reaction, when you play a decoy, increase its cost by two, change a non-elite enemy to up to two non-elite enemies, and then as a second reaction, when you play decoy, increase its cost by two, change at your location to at a location up to two connections away. So this is similar to, I think, Intel report we saw 
pack or two ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was also a service, right, or a favor. Yeah, so it's a similar card where it's like a baseline two, and then you can spend money to like make it a more powerful effect. So this gives you this does give you a testless evade, and if you spend money, you can evade potentially two things. Obviously, it has non-elite clause on it, so you can't use it on like bosses or particularly scary things. We usually don't like that. It does have double agility icons on it, though, which is kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Evading isn't the most useful thing, though, is the issue. It's pretty good for rogues sometimes. Yeah. I think really rich rogues like Jenny and maybe Preston will probably want to play it. And if you're not extremely rich, I'm not so sure. But yeah. Well, so my question here is, can Finn play this as his free action evade? Uh, Yes. Because it is, it is a bold evade action, and his thing is uh, once per round he can take an evade action, right? Yeah. Yeah. I do think that, I mean, so this is, you know, for people that maybe don't listen to us all that much, we are usually evaluating these from a perspective of playing with like three or four players on standard or hard mode. If you're playing on expert, then the testlessness of this is much more important, and maybe that bumps it up to be better. But on standard or hard, I don't think I would play this in a deck like wendy or finn where you're already good at evading because you don't really need a testless evade you can just succeed most of the time but when you're on expert then maybe even characters that are normally good at evading would appreciate not having to draw from the chaos bag i mean the the action confession on it is also pretty solid like for whatever reason like in forgotten age when you have to maybe evade a lot of stuff uh, being able to evade you know multiple enemies at locations far away from you to like slow down hunters might be pretty good it's true. It's kind of too bad that um, even if you like Intel Report, even if you pay both increases, you can't pick your location and a location two away. You have to evade both enemies at the same location. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, it's still it's still pretty good. But it also lets you evade enemies that are not engaged with you. Yeah, that's true. Which is also pretty... Oh, yeah. Pretty, that's a pretty good perk. Pretty significant. Mm-hmm. So not only is it a testless evade, but maybe it could save you like having to taunt off of somebody or you know, if you do a location farther away, having to move and taunt. So I think there's a lot of action expression in it. Uh, so I think it has potential to have enough uses that you want to throw it in a deck that ha- is going to have enough money to, to play it. Yeah, especially with the double icons. Right, right. I like the art on it. It has like, a lady like running across a rooftop and it's at like, a weird angle. So it's kind of like yeah. lines up at the borders. It's an action shot. This game does a lot of Dutch angles. In fact, I believe, I think uh, one, two, three of the six cards that we've talked about so far have uh, Dutch angles in the art. So, But let's move on to the seventh card. So this is uh, De Vermis Mysterious. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. No, that's probably right. Believe me, I know. <laughs> oh, good. I, well, if Ben, if ben, says, if ben says I did it right, then I, I, you know, I feel great. This is a unique asset, a mystic asset. It costs two resources, and it's level two. It has the subtitle, Signs of the Black Stars. Wow, that's really scary. Isn't that Carcosa? It has one intellect icon on it. It is an item and a tome, and it has an action, Exhaust Divermus Mysterious, and place one doom on it. Play a spell or inside event from your discard pile, reducing its resource cost by one. After that event resolves, remove it from the game, and it has uh, it takes up a hand slot and has a huge amount of flavor text. I was about to say it that. It has a quote from whatever book this was called. The Gambler from the Stars. Nope, that's not what it says. <laughs> The Rambler from the Stars. No, incorrect. Uh, but it, is, it isn't a no. Lovecraft book, so I'm not familiar with it. I'm not sure if that's like an expanded universe, like after Lovecraft. Another block. I do think it's it's kind of cool that we got um, the Seeker event earlier, Knowledge's Power, worked for spell assets. 
and this is uh, for spell events. I guess this also works for insights, and that also works for tomes. But you could use knowledge as power to trigger the action on the to- this tome to-, oh. to-, to play an event. Uh, <laughs> oh no, you could use it to play knowledge as power. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. No, that would be terrible. <laughs> so we got like two two investigator synergies, right? We've got we've got both Marie, who likes things with doom on them, and we've got a level two purple card, which means that Daisy can use it, and it's a tome. Yeah, that is true. And playing an insight from your discard pile, I mean, if you're Daisy, you probably have some pretty good insights. You have your cryptic researches and stuff. And your wards. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, there I, you go. yeah, as Dane mentioned earlier, yeah, wards. Um, Yay! Yeah, obviously, we again, we not going to work, but yeah. Uh, but on the, on the other hand, putting Doom on something generally is quite bad, unless it happens to be exactly the turn before Doom advances, right? Yeah. So... Or if you're planning to, like, sacrifice it anyway or something. So the question is, is this either good enough that it's worth putting a Doom onto one of your cards? Or are there ways to mitigate that Doom where it becomes good? There's a couple cards for mitigating Doom off of the Tome. I mean, there's not that many. There's Moonlight Ritual well, there's and Sacrifice, Moonlight Ritual. right? Oh yeah, Sacrifice. And even Sacrifice, like, if you play this and use it once and then sacrifice it, you didn't really come out ahead. You'd need to play this, use it, like, two or three times and then sacrifice it. Which might be difficult, because you have to exhaust it after using it. Yeah, if you if you play it at the right time, depending on the agenda, you could get a couple uses out of it. Hmm. And, you know, definitely for Marie, like, having a way to... Another way to get Doom in play, other than, like, Renfield or uh, other allies that names Earth gave me right now. Alyssa? Arcane Initiate. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like... This is this is a reasonable thing, and it is. I mean, yeah. There's there are some very good insights that you could play, and some pretty good spells. But I don't know. It, this seems like a. It seems a little bit difficult to use in an advantageous way. To me. it's a tough sell. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a little tricky. I think Marie is the most tempted to use it. I don't know if Daisy's as tempted to use it, uh, just because she's going to have less. She'll have to actually build to mitigate doom. Oh, where Marie is already trying to mitigate doom. Yeah, I mean, it's worth mentioning Daisy can take Sacrifice, but I'm not sure, unless there's like a Daisy build that's very different from what we usually see, she doesn't normally have enough purple assets to really be able to use Sacrifice very well. So I think it's it's kind of tough to discard something that doesn't have um, health or sanity like Renfield would, where you can just kind of murder him. Mm-hmm. This, however, with Marie, and I'm not saying you should, I'm just saying it's a thing that exists. <laughs> you can take that one card that lets you discard a card and fight somebody with it. You can bonk somebody over the head with this and put it in your discard because she can have up to five level zero survivor cards. Oh, are you talking about active aspiration? Yes. And then, oh, it is an item. Does that work? <laughs> it, it is an item, head, right? <laughs> I'm really, really happy that we have not yet been able to go one episode of the podcast without mentioning active desperation since it came out like three months ago. So great job doing. Yeah. <laughs> can I? I have an even more exciting question for Rules Master Ben again. Oh no. Does this? Does this form some kind of infinite combo with Knowledge's Power if you play both of those? Like, if you have two copies of those, suppose you have one of each in your hand and one of each in your discard pile. Can you play Knowledge's Power, reveal the book from your hand, use the action ability on it to play the other 
I'm not sure if it actually works this way, but is there some kind you of... You could combo it, but the the tome here does remove oh. the event from the game. And also, Knowledge is Power doesn't actually get it out of your discard pile. I thought maybe there was some kind of weird thing going on with those. Well, I mean, if you had this in play, and you'd have to exhaust it. Yeah, okay, never mind. But it would be, I mean, because that's one way to get around the Doom, right? Is to not actually put this on the field, but just to use it as part of Knowledge is well, Power. you don't have to discard it from your hand, though. So you could... You could play Knowledge's Power to reveal it from your hand to play Knowledge's Power again to reveal it from your hand uh, or something. Then two Eidetic Memories. Uh, yeah, there, there's a little... There, you could chain there to do something Eidetic Memory <laughs> um, oh. yeah, to, to combo it in, but I don't know if that would be effective just with that. Maybe maybe there's something there, but I don't know. We'll, we'll let Super Keith uh, investigate this. <laughs> we'll, see what's, we'll see what Super Keith, Super Keith comes up with. Ball's in your court, Super Keith. You want to guide us through the next card, Dean? Boy, do I. Oh. The next card is a survivor card. Welcome, guys. We've got Guiding Spirit. It is a one-cost asset that's level one. Commits for one will. Its traits are ally and geist. Ooh. You get plus one intellect. Non-direct horror must be assigned to Guiding Spirit before it can be assigned to your investigator card. Forced. After Guiding Spirit is defeated by horror, exile it. And it has, it has no health value, but it does have a three for its horror value, and it does take up your ally slot. And the art is a ghost pal pointing like, hey, look over there. It's a scary book. Take a look at the book. Maybe it's got <laughs> important stuff in it. Hey, is that a key behind the bookshelf? So it's like it's a ghost friend that's like ruining the mystery for you because it's just telling you everything is. <laughs> is that yeah, exactly? It's like that one guy in the back of the theater. No, I picture it as like you're playing a video game and you have like someone standing behind the couch being like, "Oh, go over there. I think I saw a thing. Oh, was that an item? <laughs> oh, look over there. <laughs> well, you missed it. Go back. Yeah, like oh, oh, look at that guy. Oh, I bet he dropped some cool stuff. You know, <laughs> this is an incredibly infor- affordable intellect. I think. Yep, right after uh, right after Drawing Thin came out, and Survivors are now the richest class. Finally, time for an affordable uh, an affordable clue getting card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it compares like I think, especially in solo, it, it it compares pretty well, pretty favorably to a couple other things that get you in intellect, especially because Survivors don't really have that many. Mm. They have newspapers, right? Survivors, Survivors, <laughs> Survivors have newspapers, and level two in newspaper isn't bad. But I think that. This is like, this corners the market on Survivor Intellect cards, guys. I mean, <laughs> keep in mind that it is an exile card, so yeah. you do keep having to put more XP into it, but it is pretty good for all that. And it's exciting, too, because the exile cards we've seen so far are events that exile them after you play them, which is fine, but this is like a neat, different spin on it, so I'm excited to see if they like explore this with other cards as well. Yeah, you've got to keep her safe, though. This one's also like pretty easy to avoid the exile effect. Because it's similar to like Key of Yeast, it's um, you have to assign it to this card before you investigate a card, but you can assign horror to other things first. Like uh, right. if you had Peter, if you have Charisma in this, or if you have um, Cherish Keepsake, the teddy bears. Teddy bears, yeah. Or other stuff to soak horror. It is too bad that it shares a slot with Peter, because yeah. it means you'd have to have Peter and Charisma, but even still. I mean, you can get Charisma, this isn't unique or anything, so you could play two of them if you wanted. Ooh. And get plus two and then you could even divide up the horror between them to soak it for each other that is true i think the bigger problem though is which survivors really actually want to increase their intellect because if you're a survivor like a lot of survivors just are going to play look what i found and be able to get a couple of clues and leave most of the clue getting to other people i like i think for solo probably they want to do that and get clues but if you're in a group you usually 
you don't actually want to get clues by like boosting your intellect and investigating usually, do you? Or am I leaving out some like cool survivor decks that I don't know about? I think there might be a cool possibility with Wendy. Wendy has kind of a, a lot of options in terms of being a, being a seeker. Like she's got um, winging it is pretty good. Guiding spirit puts her up to a four. I mean, I, I like Wendy a lot, but with Wendy, you play like winging it's and look what I founds and lock picks. Right. And that, like, that's, I don't think I would slot this instead of any of those. And Intel reports. Yeah. If you didn't want to play lockpicks, this is an alternative, maybe. Maybe you want to have a bow or something to shoot stuff, or baseball that, whatever. Yeah, I guess that's true. Min is not a survivor, but she can use this card. That is true. And it's cheaper than, like, Milan. Are there any other plus book allies that are seekers? I guess not. But <laughs> but yeah, like this, this is an alternative where if you want intellect for cheap and a little bit of horror soak... It might be good for her. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say that. Um, it's seeing Milan mutated. This is kind of saving you the three resources up front and playing Milan to get most of his effect. You know, like, because normally you kind of want to drop Milan and then drop something else. But now you get to play this for one, you know, so that's pretty good. I think that's a lot of savings if, if you're men and you kind of want to want to play something that boosts your intellect. Yeah. Although, I don't know, it's tough with a Seeker where you have so many things that cost so much XP to keep putting XP into this. But I could see in the right situation, if you're really worried about taking horror, I could see it being okay. Yeah. I thought of a pretty cool deck. If you have Guiding Spirits, there are expendable allies that you have in Seekers where you can do like mm. art students and or um, lab assistants where you can calling in favors and you can kind of pull your ghost friend back and, and get your art students out. Can you play that with the skull? um ursula no you can't do that in ursula because you can't get ghost ghost buddy yeah what skull the decorated skull yeah i mean wendy could play this and the skull but she can't play like the other things like the art students or whatever. yeah yeah calling in favors doesn't kill the thing anyway though you still get a skull point but you're you're right though because calling in favors does get around the if it's about to die and you play calling in favors you yeah can, like, reset it like yep. that's kind of cool yeah and it's cheap too so yeah yeah so you know pretty pretty interesting card yeah i think it's solid i think it Definitely solid for solo and has some potential in multiplayer uh, as yeah. as a decent option. Probably a better solo card, but yeah, we're kind of interested to see what happens with this one. And the theme is fun too. So um, want me to go over that last card? Yeah, do it. Boy, is it a card. Uh, so this last card is A, very playmat worthy. <laughs> oh, it sure is. And B, it is, it is a survivor card called Fortune or Fate. Ooh. It is a two cost event that is level two. It has one wild commit symbol on it. It is both a fortune and blessed. So Rex can't play it, and Mateo can play it. Is 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 fortune what Rex is not allowed to play? I think so. Right, yep. That's exactly what it is, yeah. Uh, well, tragic for Rex, um, <laughs> who we haven't mentioned uh, in a long time because he's so boring to play. Yep. The effect on it is fast. <laughs> play when Doom would be placed on any scenario card. Max one per game. Cancel one Doom just placed on that card. Exile fortune or fate magnificent yeah it seems really good incredible, <laughs> incredible really great card yeah finally something for survivors to do with their xp uh, which is just play one of these every single game yeah yeah this this is very good can it's... you double or nothing this somehow <laughs> no i don't think so that'd be great yeah i mean it's it's too experienced to give your whole team one turn like every game mm-hmm. uh it's effectively what it is right so maybe it's not quite as good in like solo or two player because it's less actions you get out of it for the cost. But, but if you got three or four players, but three or four player, really good. And even even compared to like the pocket watch or something, which sort of has a somewhat similar effect because that does let you skip the mythos phase. 
I mean, this is like, I, I sort of like this better just because it's fast. So you can like really decide you can like, oh crap, we thought we were going to have one more turn, but then someone drew ancient evils when we, we, we mapped out the cards left in the deck and there was like a pretty good chance to not draw the ancient evils, but we drew it. Oh no, we'll play this card. Yeah. Like it's, it's reactive to the doom, which is great. Yeah. It, it has the effect. Like we often use ward for protecting against ancient evils and whatnot. In addition to other very scary cards. Yeah. But this definitely has that effect. It's nice that Mateo can play it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, William Uric can't play Ward. He can play this, you know? <laughs> yeah, de- definitely very solid. Again, the art on it, though, is great. I right? Yeah, if if anyone if anyone at FFG ever listens to our, our dumb podcast, please, God, please make a playmat of this card. Like, we, we, we will each buy one. Like, seriously, you'll make, you'll make, what is it, like $45 off of the three of us each buying one? <laughs> Maybe we'll even buy one and we'll give it away in a promotion. So that's that's sixty dollars. You know what? No, FFG. I'm I'm committing to this right now. We will buy an extra one and give it out as like a sweepstakes for our for our fan community if they make a play out of this card. Please, please do it. <laughs> it's sixty dollars, FFG. Yeah, see, <laughs> waiting there for you. See, I mean, you know, minus the cost of actually making and shipping the playmats, which is probably a lot. <laughs> It's uh, so like sixteen dollars. Uh, uh, so I mean, also, uh, yeah, maybe make a promo of this too because it's also like, yeah, it's just it's just so cool. It is it is a great art, I think. Yeah, it's it's an extremely good card. I think this is just like, apart from test of will, these this is what you get when you're a survivor. Like, mm. congratulations, you've got four. If you get four experience each each round, you just ship those two and ship this, and you're and you're good to go. And <laughs> unlike test of will, it. Uh... You know, you don't do it on the same location as someone when they draw the ancient evils. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's universal block it from anywhere. It's great. I guess maybe maybe one question is: if you have the XP, you get two of these just to like have an extra one, so that you have a bigger chance to draw it. And you know, you can only play one per game, but you can have two in your deck, right? Yeah, yeah, you can have two in your deck, so you might you might consider that oh, depending on how like efficient your draw engine is. Like, I mean, if you're using drawing to draw cards instead of get money or whatever. I also I wonder if at some point we'll find us there'll be a survivor permanent that's like once after each kind of like an obol like after each scenario reduce the cost of the first exile card you add to your deck by one or something yeah it could be neat that'd be really cool might be ridiculous but yeah yeah that might be a little bit too good actually but you know maybe we'll see something like that yeah I and mean, I'm fairly certain that it's it's a fortune because it's literally called fortune or fate and those those the traits basically mirror the the flavor and also Rex can't play it anyways because it's a level 2 card. <laughs> that is true. Well, I like I like the the I guess a little bit conflicting theme there, right? Cuz it's like oh is it a you know, are we being protected by some higher power or is it Were we just, we're just really lucky? lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, that's true. So yeah definitely definitely like like this card a lot theme ability you know balance Art, also yeah. all seems great really good really liking survivor cards overall yeah this cycle right? I'm, I'm most excited to get to these definitely like, most of them have been pretty great i i would agree i think that this this cycle the survivor cards are really on point they're really working and the guardian cards are like what so <laughs> yeah here comes crypt chill so what do you guys think about these new cards are you guys excited about preventing doom without having to play marie who here likes books? Daisy players rejoice. <laughs> Comment wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at miskatonicuniversityradio at gmail.com. Like always, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
Well, speaking of books and being dangerous, uh, Dane. Whoa, did what Ben do you want to tell did, Dan? Did Ben fuck up the order? The card? Did Ben fuck up the order of who reads the next no, I, card? I, re- I recovered it. Whoa. I recovered it. Go. <laughs> Go sit in the corner forever. I was trying to do an awkward transition, so that made me think of Dane. Cardbot apprehend him. Uh, <laughs> murder. Oh, murder. Wow. Murder. That's so brutal. <laughs>